be in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus is uh, one of the most strayed from books, if not the most strayed from books, in the scripture. For some reason, us Gentile Christians don't like to delve into it. And unfortunately, it's taught in some churches, even from some pulpits, that we don't need to worry about the book of Leviticus. Uh, the book of Leviticus is nothing more than a bunch of laws and ordinances and ceremonies uh, that were given to a bunch of Jews, and that's not us. Uh, the folks, uh, that's, that's, it's far from the truth to say that we don't need to, to understand the book of Leviticus, the entire Old Testament of the canon of Scripture points toward Jesus Christ. Amen. All of it points toward Jesus Christ. The right. entire book of Leviticus points to Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you think that the book of Leviticus is not important, I'll give you this little fact. There are more spoken words of God in the book of Leviticus than there are in any other book in Scripture. Fifty-eight times you will find uh, uh, to, to one extent or another, the Lord said, the Lord spake, the Lord commanded, but the Lord said these things. Amen. If you would take uh, your red letter Bible, if you have one, and put that over the Old Testament to the book of Leviticus and the words of God being in red, most of the book of Leviticus would be in red. And it's got more spoken words of God than any other book in Scripture. So that tells me it's important. It's important for us to read it. It's important for us to study it. And most of us only know Leviticus chapter 16. We know a little bit about Leviticus 16. Leviticus 1 is just as important. I mean, it's just like just like the Gospel of John. Everybody knows John 3.16. We've known it since we were three, four, five years old. What does John 15 say? What does John 17, 3.17 say? Those are in red too in your red letter Bibles. Jesus said those too. They're just as important. Amen. I praise God for John 3.16. I thank, I thank God for it. But the rest of it's important too. Leviticus Amen. is very important. Leviticus chapter 1 covers the subject of the burnt offering. It's the first offer, offering brought up in the book of Leviticus amongst many other ones. We have the heave offering. We have the grain offering. We have the peace offering. The sin offering. We've got all kinds of offerings that are brought up in the book of Leviticus. But the burnt offering is brought up first. This isn't the first time in Scripture it's brought up, though. When Noah stepped off of the ark, when he came off of the ark, he took of the clean animals and made burnt offerings of them. So this is far from the first time that the burnt offering is brought up. But this burnt offering points directly at Jesus Christ. It shows us Jesus Christ, but it not only shows us Jesus, it shows our part in this whole thing, not our part in our salvation. Uh, only God can say we have no part in our salvation. God, God, God came to where I was. He pointed my sin out to me. He Amen. saved me. He's keeping me. He'll God. get me home one day. Amen. I have nothing to do with that. That is all God. Amen. But it takes faith yes. and it takes repentance. And God grants both of those things according to what I read in the scripture. That's right. uh, but anyway, in Leviticus chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, 
It says, And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation. And we'll stop right there. I understand there's one more word. But we'll stop right there. The Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation. He spoke to him out of the tabernacle. Now keep in mind the, the laws and the ordinances and the ceremonies, everything that we read about here in the book of Leviticus takes place in the about 50 days between Exodus 25 and Numbers chapter 10. There's around 50 days that takes place there. And all these laws and all of these ordinances are given during that time. I don't know if it was a few days after uh, the law was given at Mount Sinai. I don't know if it was a couple of weeks. Scripture really doesn't tell us the exact amount of time. But we can surmise that it was given during that 50-day period. Uh, uh, between uh, the Mount Sinai and the law, the law being given, and the beginning of, of the, the tabernacle and uh, the instructions for it being given in Exodus 25, on through uh, the uh, Exodus chapter 40, the end of the book of Exodus, and that goes on to about Numbers chapter 10. And Numbers chapter 10 is uh, Numbers is the book after Leviticus. Here, all this is given in in that time. Uh, time period there. So there wasn't any room, uh, there wasn't any time for those Israelites that heard the law that God had spoken unto Moses and Moses relayed it to them. Then there was no time for them to have forgotten about the lightning, for them to have forgotten about the thundering, forgot about the quaking and, and all that was going on there at Mount Sinai. It was at most a few weeks when all this was given. The chances are it was a few days to maybe a couple of weeks when all this was given. But it says, God, the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation. This is, this is highly important in this. He called to Moses. I understand Moses was God's man. Moses was the mediator between the Israelites and their maker, between the Israelites and the one who had freed them from the bondage of Egypt. Moses was the man that God himself had designated. God had called Moses uh, from the burning bush and had de designated him as the one to go unto Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. Moses is the mediator here. Moses is the intercessor. And God calls to him. But remember what we just talked about. This is directly after Mount Sinai. We'll just call it the Mount Sinai incident if you would like to. This is directly after the law was given. And Moses had come down off the mountain and gone back up into the mountain. And the, the next time that he was up in the mountain, what happened? The Israelites forgot all about God. They forgot all about the law. They forgot all about their maker. And they made a golden calf and they began to worship that as a God as their God, as the one that delivered them out of Egypt. This was enough to make God angry. And it did make him angry. But God calls to Moses. He didn't just wipe out the Israelites. He could have. He didn't just wipe them all out, though. He calls to Moses, but from where? Or the tabernacle of the congregation. Even though those Israelites, even though they had that quickly turned their back on God and that quickly had run to an idol. Even though that had happened, God still had them to build the tabernacle. He still gave the instructions for the tabernacle. 
He's, and he still said, I want to dwell among my people, among my chosen, among my elect that I chose. God chose Ab Abram to come out of the land of Ur. He just looked down one day. I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I can tell you now, Abram was a simple man just as I am a simple man. And God simply looked down one day and chose Abram to be the father of the nation Israel. God chose him to do this. And he did not wipe these Israelites out just because they went uh, whoring after idols. He called them out of the tabernacle of the congregation. This means he was no longer up there on the mountain where the quakings and the lightnings and the thunderings that we were talking about was. That's past at this point. He called to them out of the tabernacle. He called to them from between the cherubim. He called to them from the mercy seat. He called to Moses, one of his, one of his chosen people. He called to them out of the tabernacle of the congregation, uh, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. Speak unto the children of Israel. Once again, God's not calling in anger here. He's, he's given an invitation. He says, If, to speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you, bring an offering unto the Lord. He's not commanding that this offering be, be brought. We'll get into that in the next verse or two. He's not commanding it. He's not demanding it. He says, if someone brings an offering, if any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the, of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a meal without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will. Again, keep in mind when we're talking about directly after Sinai, directly after the law was given, and directly after the Israelites had broken the first two of those commandments. Thou shalt have no God before your God. You shall not worship idols. You shall not do these things. This is directly after that. He's saying, but if someone wishes to commune with me, if someone wishes to have fellowship with me, this is what it is. It's a call to worship God. It's an invitation to come to God. Amen. It's an invitation. He says, if one of you comes and brings an offering, bring it to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation or the tent of meeting, whatever you want to call it. It's all the same thing, but bring it to, to that door. Bring it to, to the very door of where I am, of where I am dwelling. Let him bring this offering to me. Yes. And once yeah. again, folks, keep in mind, keep in mind how angry God could have been. But God determined long before all of this God could see, uh, see before any of these people that he was addressing through Moses, see before they were born, he knew what they would do. Yes. Jesus Amen. Christ died for you and I. Amen. Praise God. He Praise died for you Lord. and I knowing that we were sinners, knowing that we would be sinners. I wasn't alive 2,000 years ago, but Christ still knew that I would be a sinner, and yet he laid down his life for me. Thank you, Lord. That is a merciful God. Yes. God could have just wiped out the entire world and said, I'm going to try it again. But no, that wasn't God's plan. It was never his plan. There is no plan B with God. 
It's been planned A from the get-go. And from the get-go, Christ was consecrated. And he was He was sanctified. He was set to the side to be Amen. the propitiation for your sin and for my sin. Right. God knew that these Israelites would turn on him. He knew that they would go running after other idols. He knew that, they, that what they would do. And yet, he still allowed them to build this tabernacle and still allowed them to carry him around in the wilderness with them or uh, carry him around with them in the wilderness. And he followed them. We know about the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Folks, at this point, the, the pillar of cloud had settled on the on the on the tabernacle. It had settled settled where God was. And when the and when that pillar settled, the people had to settle. God's people had to settle. And they would sit there and they would commune with God. And they would go in and out unto God. And they would make their offerings unto God. Whether it was a peace offering, whether it was a burnt offering or, or a grain offering or any other offerings that we see in the scripture, uh, these are the times that they would commune with God. And that's one, this is one of these times that we're reading about right here. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. And a lot of people make a big deal over this male saying that was the sign of Christ. It's not the sign of Christ in that it was male. And ladies, I'm not trying to offend you all in saying this. Male is the sign of strength. It's a sign of strength in the scriptures. It's just a natural thing. Men are naturally stronger physically than women are. Now, I ain't saying that I'm stronger than every woman that's on the face of the planet. But as a general rule and as a general statement, that's what this is speaking of. It's speaking of strength. Let them offer a male uh, uh, from the flock without blemish. There's the important part. Not if it's male or female, but folks, that male is what God demanded. Male is what God said it should be. But it, it must be without blemish. Amen. It has to be without blemish and it has to be without spot. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. <clears throat> Verse 4, And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make an atonement for him. He shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering. This is a, basically the same thing as what we refer to nowadays as laying, the laying on of hands. What was he doing, though? What was, what was the offerer doing to this sacrifice? Some people say he was magically transferring his sin from himself to the sacrifice. No, no. He was simply associating with that sacrifice. He was saying, I'm the sinner. I'm the sinner. This animal, this ox, this goat, this sheep, this turtle dove, we're going to get into all that here in a few minutes. Whatever the animal was that was being offered, this is my substitute. This is what's taking my place. This is what's dying for me. This was a confession. By whoever brought the offering, it was a confession. I'm a sinner. I have sinned against God. I have offended God. But this is my substitute. I'm the one that deserves death. Folks, it's no different in the New Testament. In the New Testament, you and I are the ones that deserve the death. You and I are the ones that should have bled on the cross. You and I are the ones that should have been scourged. We're the ones that deserve to suffer an agonizing death. Not Christ. Amen. 
not crossed. As Isaiah says, no guile was ever found in his mouth. No guile was found in his mouth at all. He was completely and utterly innocent Amen. of any sin, of any wrongdoing. The man never even had a bad thought come to his mind. But you and I, we deserve that death. This animal that the people, that the Israelites would bring, it didn't deserve to die. Animals don't sin against God. Animals don't have that kind of conscience. Animals act like animals. That's what they do. Y'all have heard me say before that heathens act like heathens and pagans act like pagans because that's all they know to do. Animals are the same way. All they know how to do is be an animal. Lions know how to be a lion. Tigers know how to be a tiger. Dogs know how to be a dog. And cats know how to be a cat. That's how the good Lord designed them. And that's all they know. They don't know how to sin. They don't know the difference between right and wrong. Your cat doesn't know any better than to scratch you when it does. Your dog doesn't know any better than to bite you when it does. That's what they do. They are wild creatures. And now we can domesticate them, yes, but inside they are still animals. They are still animals. We know the difference between right and wrong. We know the difference between good and evil. These animals were innocent. And it said, uh, He shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. There's no doubt here. He shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted of him. When we came or we come to Christ, I don't know anybody's heart here tonight. If you come to Christ, though, you are, you're laying your hand upon Christ. When you came to Christ, if you were sitting here saved tonight, when you came, you laid your hand upon Christ Amen. and you said, this is my offering. This is what took my yeah, place. Thank you, Lord. Instead of me, instead of me, the one who truly deserved to die, the one that truly Amen. deserves the death, I'm placing my hand upon Jesus Christ. And when you read this in the original Hebrew text, it means to lean heavily upon the sacrifice, not just to, to lightly put your hand on it. means to lean, to put your weight on to it, to mean what you're thinking, to mean your faith and what that sacrifice is for. When we come to Christ, we have to mean it. Amen. We've got to mean it when we come. That's faith. Yes. That's faith. And that's and that's repentance. When we repent, y'all probably heard the saying, repentance is not when you cry. I've seen a lot of people go to altars and cry yeah. and go right back out living the way that they were. Amen. And y'all probably seen that too. Repentance is when you change. Amen. With repentance comes restitution. That restitution is not for salvation. That restitution is because of salvation. It's because we have been saved. Because we can spend the rest of our life trying to pay God back for something that there was no price for. The price has been paid. Thank you, Lord. The price was Jesus Christ. We cannot pay that price. We could not pay that price. And we can never pay that price. These people here, God, had given them another chance to. And he said, when they lay their hands upon the burnt offering, when they lay their hand upon him, it shall be an atonement. When they do this, and they do it with the right heart and the 
right mind and the right spirit and the right faith, when they do it the right way, the way that God prescribed to do it, the same way that we come to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance, when we do it the way that Scripture prescribes it to do, God will save our souls. God will save our lost when they do that. He'll save the worst drug head. He'll save right. the prostitute. He'll Amen. save the drunk. He'll save, he'll save the biggest liar, the biggest thief, and the yes. worst murderer on the face of the planet. Hallelujah. If they come in the way that Scripture has prescribed them right. to come. Yes. In faith and repentance. Amen. And they, lay, they lay their hand upon Christ. And they lean on Christ. Amen. And they don't stop. Yes. They don't stop leaning on Christ. Hallelujah. I heard a couple of people talking about their bad days today. How the day started out bad. Uh, I heard that this evening. What did we do, though? We lean on Christ. We lean on the promises of Scripture. We lean on the promises, as was brought up earlier, that it won't always be this way, that there's a better day coming. We lean on the promise that in that city there is no night there. Amen. For the Son, He is the light of that city. Glory to God. Praise Amen. God. Amen. We lean on these things. And we lean heavily upon them. Verse 5, And he shall kill the bullet before the Lord, and the priest, Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about, round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. I want you to notice something here. We've already read that the sacrifice would, shall be an atonement for, for it. For who? For the offer. For the one that brought it. Now here it says, and he shall kill the bullet before the Lord. Who is he? not the priest. That's the one that brought the offering. It's the same hymn that was brought up in the previous verse. The one that brought the offering kills the offering. Folks, and you read about this later on in Leviticus, and you read about it a couple of different times in the Old Testament. Uh, as far as making accusations goes, as far as uh, deeming people sinners goes, as, long as, as far as uh, uh, stoning people to death. Who was the first one to lay hands upon them? Who was the first one to cast the stone? The accuser was. Here, in this, the very one that brought the offering is the one that does the slaying. That's not always the case, but in the case of the burnt offering, that's what I'm reading here in Scripture. They bring it there, yes. And they, they come to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, yes. And they're there with their offering, they are the ones that slay the offering. They're the first ones to lay their hands on it. They lay their hands on it as, as, as an indication. This is my substitute. And in cases like this, they would kill the animal themselves. Because he shall kill the bullet before the Lord. And the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood. That's significant. The offerer is the one that slays the bullet. The, one, the very one that brought the animal. But the priests are the one that shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Folks, it's been argued for 2,000 years now. Who killed Christ? Who killed Jesus? Was it the Romans? They're the ones that nailed him to the cross. Was it the Jews? They're the ones that were screaming crucified. Was it this one? Was it that one? Was it this country? Was it that country? Was it Jews? Was it Gentiles? Folks, you killed Christ 
and I killed Christ. Christ would have never died had we not been sinners. He would have never had to have died had we not been sinners. Amen. Ne never would he have had to have left his place in glory and come here and bleed and die had it not been for sin in your life and in my life. We killed Christ. The Jews killed Christ. The Gentiles, the Romans, they killed Christ. We all had our part in it. Amen. This person that brought the offering killed the offering. I killed my offering. But it takes a priest to spread the blood. It takes a priest to sprinkle the blood. And I ain't talking about going to your local Catholic church and begging a priest to come sprinkle blood for you. We have a great high priest in heaven. Amen. We have a great high priest that ascended and currently sits at the Father's right hand making intercession for you and I. He is our high priest. It can get no higher than that. But he is the one that had to sprinkle the blood. He's the one that had to show the Father, this is what I've done. This is what I've done. He's the one that had to please the Father. And his entire life that he lived here was done to do nothing more and nothing less than to please the Father. He lived to please the Father. The fa and the Father, every time you see him bring up the Son, uh, he's glorifying the Son. Christ was glorifying the Father. But he lived to please the Father. But he is our great high priest. Now, when this bullock is killed, when this offering is killed, the previous verse, it's killed for what? To make an atonement. How many of us use that word on a daily basis? Atonement. It's an important word, and I praise God for the word. And you actually read it more in the book of Leviticus, again, than you do in anywhere else in Scripture combined. You can take all the rest of Scripture and you don't read about atonement more than you do in the book of Leviticus. Atonement is very important. However, you don't really read that word much in the New Testament. One time, if I'm not horribly mistaken, one time you see a form of the word atonement in the New Testament. Yet, Christ was and is our atoning sacrifice. Mm -hmm. He took our place and washed away our sins. Now, the word atone itself means to cover. means to cover so that God can't see our sins. But folks, my Bible teaches that not only are my sins covered, they're completely gone. Amen. They're washed away. They can't just be covered and me come into the presence of a thrice holy God. They must be gone. That is the reason Amen. that God spoke to Moses out of the tabernacle of the congregation. He spoke to them because he wanted to commune with his people. And he said, if they want to commune with me, if they want to worship me, if they want to be with me, if they want to have anything to do with me, they will follow this prescription that I am giving in, uh, to you right now, Moses. This was the only way to do it. And this was a way not for their sins to be washed away as they are in the New Testament in the blood of Jesus Christ. But it was a way for their sins to be rolled back that they could still be in right relationship and good fellowship with God. Amen. Verse 6, And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it in, into his pieces. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priest, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts, the head, and the fat in order upon the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar. But his inwards and his legs 
shall he wash in water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Back to verse 6. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. Who is the he? <coughs> the same one that had to kill the animals who begin with. The only other person or actually people that you read about are the priests, the sons of Aaron. And that's plural. We're back to a singular now. It's still talking about the he that brought the offering to begin with. The same he that, that slayed the offering. He shall play the meat. He shall play the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the, of Aaron the priest, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. I've seen and I've heard uh, much about this laying the wood upon the, uh, uh, upon the altar for the fire. And I've seen some people try and make some really spiritual things of that. Uh, that I think are pretty far-fetched and pretty far out in the left field as far as putting the wood in order for the fire. But I will tell you this much. Everything that God done, does is done decently, and it's done in order. Amen. God does have an order for the way th things should be done. That's why he's given these instructions to Moses. He says these people can't just come to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and expect me to commune with them. They must bring a sacrifice. This is the only way that it's going to be done. And folks, if we get to God, it'll be through Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ said to himself in John 14 that he is the way right. and the truth and the life Amen. and that no man will come unto the Father but by him. Amen. We've got to come by Jesus Christ. We've got to come through Jesus Christ. And any time we go to God thereafter, it's got to be through Jesus Christ that we do that. Amen. Just like when we pray. This is just a little side note. It just kind of hit me. When we pray, how do we pray? We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, do we not? That's how I begin most of my prayers. You started out with in the name of Jesus Christ. Why do we do that, though? It's not a magical temptation. It's not an automatic key to get to God. Why do we pray that? Why do we pray in the name of Jesus other than the fact that Scripture tells us to? Because that's the name that's all powerful. That's right. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. There's the most powerful name on the planet. Is the most powerful name in the entire universe. That's why we pray in that name. Because if we pray in any other name, it's not going to get us anywhere. It's not nearly powerful enough. We could pray in the name of St. Paul or St. Peter or St. John and think that we could get somewhere with God. Folks, it won't work. Those names aren't strong like the name of Jesus Christ is. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ because of the power of the name of Jesus Christ and because Almighty God, God the Father, recognizes that name, that name of Jesus Christ. And he knows that Christ died, that we, lowly humans, could have a way unto him. He shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wooden order upon the fire. And the priest Aaron's son shall lay the parts, the head and the fat in order upon the wood that is on the fire, uh, which is upon the altar. Why the head and why the fat? Why is that brought up here? It just seems gross, don't it? It just seems almost out of place. Why don't I just say they're going to cut it up in pieces and they're going to lay it all out there? The head and the fat. Why? Because that's 
symbolic of the entire animal that was brought. That's something, that's something that's unique about the burnt offering. Now, there's other offerings as well uh, that, uh, that are very similar, but the burnt offering was the entire animal. The entire animal was offered up. But why the head, uh, basically the, the head and the fat, as the scripture put, uh, puts out here, for teaching? The head would be the knowledge, would it not? The head would be an outward part. And what would the fat be? Head. The fat comes from the inside. Most of the fat is right, right in here, right around the heart. That's, and that, to me, is symbolic of the entire existence of whatever that animal was, whether it was a bullock, or whether it was a ram, or whether it was a sheep, or whether it was a dove, or a pigeon. Regardless of what it was, that was symbolic. Of the, of the entirety. And folks, when Christ suffered, his entire body suffered. Yes. His entire body uh, was, was agonizing in pain. Now, I understand the scripture says not a, bone of, not a bone of his body should be broken, and it wasn't. But folks, he was a broken man there on that cross. But he was broken for you and I. He suffered for you and I. He bled for you and I. And it was his entire being, from his head to his torso, all the way down to his feet, was in nothing more than pain, and he did it for you, and he did it for me. He was our burnt, burnt offering. He is our sacrifice. He is the one that we lay our hands upon and we lean upon. He's the one we do these things with. And the priests, Aaron's son, shall lay the, part, the head of the feather in order upon the wood that is upon the fire, and try to read that again fire which is upon the altar, but his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Mom, I want to ask you to remember in that verse there, and remember, this was to a, for a sweet savor unto the Lord. We can get into the washing of the legs and the inwards, but remember once again, what it's saying here, his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water. The very one that brought that offering is the one that's got to wash those inwards. He's the one that's got to wash the legs. Why wash them if they're going to go on the altar anyway just to be burned? There's all kinds of uh, reasons that uh, are floating around out there, but once again, all I'm asking you to remember that at the very end of verse 9, it was an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Verse 10, and if his offering be of the flocks, namely of the sheep or of the goats, for a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring it a male without blemish, just as, it, just as if it was with the herd in the previous verses. If it's of the flock, if it's a sheep or a goat, it must be a male and it must be without blemish. <clears throat> and he shall kill it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord, and the priest, Aaron's son, shall sprinkle his blood round about upon the altar. He shall kill it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord. Either way, uh, we don't have this uh, specific direction in the, if it's an offering brought from the herd. We don't have the northward direction brought there. But both times, what I want you to see is that he kills it before the Lord. It's being offered before the Lord. Christ was offered before uh, God the Father. He was offered before not only God the Father, he was offered before all of mankind. If you remember the inscription that was written 
above Jesus' head. It was written in Greek and in Hebrew and in Latin. And that's because that was the three dominant languages of that region at that time. That was so that anybody passing by there could see that this was Jesus of Nazareth. This was Jesus, the one who claimed to be king of the Jews. Anyone that passed by there could have read that inscription and known who that was hanging there. You read in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 53, which gives a better account of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ than anything you'll read in the New Testament. But you read about the visage of Jesus Christ and how there was no beauty to behold in him. Folks, Jesus was unrecognizable hanging there on that cross. And it breaks my heart when I think about it because he did it for me. He did it for me. These animals, after they were flayed, they were cut in pieces. You could have never told that was a bullock. You could have never told that was a goat or a sheep that was laying there. The only difference between those is towards the end of this chapter, when you get to the when you get to the turtle dove or the pigeon, and it says that they shouldn't be pulled aside, they shouldn't be torn apart, basically. But these other animals, you could not recognize them after after they were cut up and they were filleted into pieces. You can never guess. You, you could have guessed that part of the bullet was actually part of the sheep or, or vice versa. Christ was unrecognizable hanging there on that cross. No beauty to behold in him. But praise God, there's all kinds of beauty. The, song, the book of Song of Solomon says he's altogether lovely. Now, now that I'm saved, back before I was saved, I couldn't see any beauty in Jesus. I couldn't see any beauty in the Bible. I couldn't see no beauty in church and anything spiritual. But since I've been saved, Christ is the most beautiful part of my Amen. life. Amen. Thank you, Lord. He was unrecognizable to me at one time. But now he's not. Amen. I recognize his voice. Amen. I recognize his spirit. I recognize his drawing. I recognize it all. Amen. And folks, this was, this was nothing more than a drawing of God of people to come to the tabernacle of the congregation to come and have fellowship with him. It was a drawing. And it was a drawing for me. And if you're sitting here saved, it was a drawing for you. Amen. Uh, I'm sorry. He shall kill it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord and the priest, Aaron's son, shall sprinkle his blood round about upon the altar. Once again, we've got We've got the offerer being the one that kills, but we've got the priests being the ones to present the blood and to sprinkle uh, the blood, just as, uh, as in the offering with the herd. And he shall cut it into pieces with his head and, and his fat, and the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar. He shall wash the embers and the legs with water, and the priest shall bring it all and burn upon the altar. Uh, it is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. There we have it again, a sweet savor unto the Lord, just as, like we read in verse 9. Folks, it doesn't matter which one of these sacrifices it was. Now you think, who had the oxen? Who had the bigger animals? Those that had more land, those that needed their land work. They're the ones that had those. Who had more land and who needed their land work? Who was able to gather more crops? It was basically the richer people. Those that were more well-to-do. Those that had more than others. Who had the sheep and who had the goats? Those were generally, the, that's what we would call nowadays the middle class. 
They're the ones that had those. Yes, they had those uh, to, to feed their families and maybe to get milk out of and whatever the case was. But both of these offerings were made as a sweet savor unto the Lord. God is no respecter of persons. I praise God at the ground level at the foot of the cross. Amen. It doesn't matter how rich we are or how poor we are. It doesn't matter how mean we've been or how good we think we've been. It's all level when it comes to Jesus Christ. None are good, no, not one. None of us deserve salvation. I know people, and I'm sure you do too, say, I've never cussed, I've never smoked, I've never drank my feet, I've never stepped foot inside of a bar, I've never danced, I've never done this, never done that. Well, big whoop. Why wasn't you crucified instead of Jesus? I'll tell you why, because he was perfect. That's right. He is perfect. Right, Amen. 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 Uh, verse 13, I'm sorry, verse 14. And if the burnt sacrifice for his offering to the Lord be of fowls, then he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or of young pigeons. If it be of fowls, if it be of the flock, if it be of the herd. Well, she's going through different tasks of people here. God is doing this, knowing that some people are better off than others. But God made a way that anyone, anyone could come to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and say, I wish to fellowship with God. I wish to make a burnt offering. Turtle doves and pigeons are very, uh, have a heavy population in that area. Even today they do. And they, and they did back then as well. They were very easy to come by. But it was a sign that you were poor if that's the kind of sacrifice you were bringing. I'll tell you how I know that. Because the Bible says, that, and the Bible teaches that Christ became poor that we could become rich. It teaches this. How do I know Christ was poor? Well, for one, he said the foxes had holes and the birds of the air had the nest, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He was homeless. He spent most of his time staying with friends, staying with Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and other folks. So you read in Luke chapter 2, after Christ was born, Mary and Joseph went to Jerusalem after the days of Mary's purification, which shows that Mary wasn't sinless, by the way. But that's a whole other lesson. After the days of her purification, and they offered a sacrifice of turtle doves. They were poor, but that's all they had. That's all they had to offer. They followed the law. They followed the law. Now, that wasn't a burnt offering that they were offering, but you see turtle doves mentioned in some of the other offerings uh, that can be made throughout the book of Leviticus. I'm trying to stay concentrated on the burnt offering. Here though, but that shows they were poor because of the type of offering that they brought. If a rich person, if someone had all kinds of money, had brought a turtle dove as their burnt offering, I don't think God would have recognized it. I don't think He would have recognized it if they had brought one of the flock, regardless of how uh, how small their flock may have been. They would bring one of the herd. If they had one of the herd and it was a male and it was without spot and without blemish, that's what they were to bring. You had to bring something that meant something to you. Something that was worth something to you. The 
Bible teaches that we should give ourselves as a living sacrifice unto God, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. That's our reasonable service. That we would be a living sacrifice unto God. If the burnt offering, if the burnt sacrifice for his offering to the Lord be a thousand, he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or of young pigeons. And the priest shall bring it unto the altar and wring off his head and burn it on the altar. And the blood thereof shall be wrung out at the side of the altar. This is the only one of these offerings that you don't see where the offerer is the one to be doing the killing. It says the priest shall bring it unto the altar and wring off his head. And you're sitting there thinking, my goodness, that's violent. Folks, it was a violent death my Savior suffered. Yes. It was a violent death that Jesus suffered. Yes. Amen. And he was as innocent as this pigeon or this turtle dove. And he was as innocent as a sheep. Mm -hmm. Isaiah describes it as, as, a, as a lamb goes to the slaughter. That's the same way that Jesus went to his own slaughter knowing that that was the very purpose that he came for, was to die. He said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Folks, if Christ had come here, and he had lived in ripe old age, and he had died of a heart attack, it would have done you and I no good. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. Without the shedding of the blood of these animals that we're reading about now, there was no remission. There was no rolling back. There was no chance for fellowship with God for any of these Israelites. Blood had to be shed, and it had to be shed by an innocent animal. And this is not something that was new. This was something that was started back in the garden when Adam and Eve fell, when Adam and Eve sinned, and God made skins to cover them because their fig leaves wasn't doing the job right. What do you think he made those skins of? He made them out of innocent animals. Blood had to have been shed in order for that to happen. God is the one that initiated bloodshed. God is the one that said bloodshed must continue, and God is the one that, that set it in motion that Jesus Christ will be the once and for all sacrifice right. for all of mankind. There's no need for us to go to a priest anymore other than the high priest Jesus Christ. There's no need for us to offer animal sacrifices anymore. The sacrifice has done been given no need for any of it. The priest shall bring it on the altar, wring off his head, and burn it on the altar. And the blood thereof shall be wrung out at the side of the altar. And he shall pluck away his crop with his feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east part by the place of the ashes. And he shall cleave it with the wings thereof, but shall not divide it asunder. And the priest shall burn it upon the altar upon the wood that is upon the that is upon the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. It's the third time we've read about a sweet savor unto the Lord. And we read about it after each sacrifice. Whether it be a bull or oxen, whether it be a sheep or goat, or whether it be the poor man's sacrifice of two turtle doves or two young pigeons. Regardless, if it was a sacrifice that was made unto God with the right heart and the right mindset and the desire to have fellowship with Him and the effort has been put forth, I've got this bird, this is all I've done, I've got 
taking it to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation because I want to have fellowship with God. If it's done in that spirit, it is a sweet savor in the nostrils of Almighty God. A sweet savor to Him when we come to Him. Even now, verily, when we got saved, it was a sweet savor under God. It was a sweet savor in the nostrils of God when we got saved. Folks, as I said before, if someone showed up at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation without their sacrifice, they couldn't have been they couldn't have been heard. God wouldn't have done anything for them. But if they come with a sacrifice, if they come with a pigeon, or if they come with a with a goat or with an ox, and they don't have the right frame of mind, God's not going to hear that either. It's no different than if, if we're sitting here in a church service. This is just an example. If we're sitting in a church service and after after service, somebody's come up here to the altar and they're on their knees and they're crying out to God for some need in their life. Maybe, maybe they're crying out to God for salvation. Maybe they're crying out to God for healing. But either way, their heart is being poured out unto their maker. And I'm standing over here just shooting the breeze with somebody. Folks, I'm at the same altar. But my intent is different than that person's right. intent. They're crying out to God. I ain't saying I'm, I'm doing something sinful if that's happening. I'm saying that we can be at the same place uh, and, but have different intentions in our heart. I may be talking to Vern about the next time we're going to go door knocking or something along those lines right up here in this same general vicinity. But somebody could be up here either getting right with God or getting something straight with God or begging God uh, for healing or begging God for mercy or begging God for comfort or whatever the case is. I'm not up here crying out to God for anything, but this person over here is. It's the same way here. It's the same way in what we just read. It depends on how we come to God. And folks, it's no different now. We come to God without the right spirit, without the right intent. Honestly, if you go to God in prayer without the will of God, your prayer's not going to be heard. And I can promise you, if you've got open, unrepented sin in your life, God's not going to hear that. The psalmist makes that very plain. He said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Amen. He will not hear me. Not he may not. Not he might not. He will not right. hear me. He will not hear my prayer. But if we come to God the way that he's prescribed, and I'm not saying we've got to come to the altar, but we've got to hit our knees at the house, on the couch, wherever the case is, and, and sacrifice a sheep or sacrifice a pigeon or whatever the case is, but we go to God the way that he has said to go unto him in the scriptures, and we go to him in the name of Jesus Christ, and we go to him with the will that he has that, that, that set forth in our life, with his desire in our life. And if we go to God like that, he has no reason to not answer our reason whatsoever. That brings us to the end of Leviticus chapter 1. The 17 short verses. Once again, the, the burnt sacrifice is extremely important. Peace offering is very important. They burnt the whole thing. Everything in the burnt offering, the entire animal was consumed. 
some of the other offerings that you read about in the book of Leviticus, the waste parts, some of the inward parts, uh, they were taken out of the can, they were done away with. But in the burnt offering, the entire offering was consumed, just as in the Jesus Christ was entirely given for you and I. Amen. Entirely given. 